Hi, I'm Alana. And I'm Rebecca. And this is, wait, how do you spell that? A rare disease podcast by Patient Worthy. And we are very excited to be at Rare Disease Week and to have a very special guest on today's episode. Would you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm so excited to be a guest on the Patient Worthy podcast. Um, I'm Taylor Kane, the founder of Remember the Girls. I'm 21. I just graduated from George Washington University in D.C. And I've been in the rare disease community since I was three years old um, and gotten to meet a lot of incredible advocates and had amazing opportunities over the years just spreading the message of rare disease awareness. Thank you. And not only have you been part of the rare disease community since a very young age, but specifically a rare disease advocate, correct? Yeah. So my first glimpse into rare disease advocacy really was in kindergarten, actually, when um, my mom brought me to speak at a United Way event. And that was the first time that I spoke in front of a crowd and told my story, which, you know, about my dad's diagnosis Mm -hmm. with adrenal leukodystrophy, a rare genetic disease when I was three years old. Um, And then he passed away when I was five. But that was the first time that I had ever talked about my story. And over the years, I kind of dabbled in it. Like in elementary school, I would go around to some classes and talk about my dad and what happened to him. Um, But it wasn't really until high school where I started, you know, becoming a leader in the rare disease community and starting Mm -hmm. my own Facebook groups and then eventually my own nonprofit organization, which is Remember the Girls. Can you tell us a little bit about Remember the Girls? Yeah. So, well, first of all, uh, my dad was diagnosed with adrenal leukodystrophy when I was three years old. Mm -hmm. And adrenal leukodystrophy, or ALD for short, is a rare genetic X-linked disease. Mm -hmm. So at the time of my dad's diagnosis, the doctor informed my family that Because the disease is X-linked, that meant that I was a carrier of the disease and that I would have a 50% chance of passing the disease on to any children that I might have in the future. Um, At the time, it wasn't known that carriers could actually develop symptoms of the disease. That Mm -hmm. wasn't really accepted more until the last decade. But So I've known that I was a carrier for as long as I can remember. And when I entered high school, I really wanted to just find other carriers, particularly Mm -hmm. other carriers my age. Because I had been to a handful of ALD conferences that my mom had brought me to because she was still involved in the community after my dad passed away in 2003. Mm -hmm. But most of the carriers I met were older and they had found out their status after, you know, passing it down and then their son getting diagnosed. And I felt like even though I could relate with them, I was kind of in a different position Mm -hmm. and I wanted younger carriers um, to talk to to be able to relate like you know, one of the issues that is common in the rare disease community and especially with carriers is how to bring up your carrier or genetic status when you're dating. Um, And of course, being in high school, it's like, do I talk about this? Do I don't? Like, I don't want, you know, this person to think that by bringing it up, I'm assuming that they're going to be my husband. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's just (laughs) awkward. So I started searching for a community, and I created a group on Facebook for young adult ALD carriers. And honestly, through that is kind of what propelled my carrier advocacy in general. Um, And I started attending more events and learning about other rare diseases. And I realized that many of the issues that ALD carriers face, such as the fact that ALD was long believed to be a boy's disease, Um, which is why when I found out of my carrier status, I wasn't told anything about my chance of developing symptoms Mm -hmm. because it really just wasn't known then that carriers could get symptoms. It was Mm -hmm. assumed that we were asymptomatic. And 
Um, now we know today that over 80% of carriers eventually do develop symptoms of the disease. Um, so there's still not a lot of research because it is a newer revelation. Um, carriers aren't included in clinical trials. We don't have any access to treatments. Um, and just a lot of uncertainty as far as that goes. Uh, then carriers also have very difficult decisions when it comes to reproduction, um, whether having kids for the first time, having another child, you know, there's difficult choices that have to be made just because of the fact that we have a 50% chance of passing it down. And ALD is a terminal disease with no treatment or cure. Um, and then, of course, also the psychosocial side effects of being a carrier, um, guilt, like such as if you've passed it down unknowingly, um, fear and uncertainty of the future. Um, these were all issues that were plaguing ALD carriers. And then I learned that there was all these other X-linked diseases where carriers were long thought to be just carriers, same as in the rare disease community. And I realized that we were all facing similar types of issues, even though we were affected by different diseases, our issues were just the exact same. So uh, that's why in 2017, I decided to found my nonprofit organization, Remember the Girls, which is dedicated to all carriers of X-linked diseases, um, raising awareness of our issues and increasing like education, awareness, research mm -hmm. about issues that affect carriers, access to reproductive options, because of course they can be incredibly expensive mm -hmm. or just carriers don't know about them. Um, and just kind of at the end of the day, just getting the word out there that carriers aren't just carriers because the just carrier saying is something so many of us have heard like, oh, you're lucky you're just a carrier and that you don't have the disease. Like, oh, you're just a carrier. So that doesn't matter. You know, we we're so mm -hmm. used to hearing like you're just a carrier. But of course, even though we don't have the full-blown severe symptoms of the disease like we do have our own issues mm -hmm. both physical and mental that we do have to deal with so hence remember the girls um, mm -hmm. because for so long we'd been overlooked so I started that in 2017 and wow that's so incredible I mean for you were still a teenager at that point yeah yeah, yeah. I was in my freshman year of college wow. <laughs> and was that at all daunting to you or was this just a space you'd been so involved in your your whole life that you were like yeah nonprofit, I can create and run this organization no big deal yeah I mean it, it was definitely a little difficult doing filing for the nonprofit, but my mom and dad actually um before my dad passed away started their own nonprofit for ALD awareness uh so my mom like under like she knew what to do so she helped me with that so that made it a lot easier but yeah I mean I definitely had to learn a lot, like learn about a board of directors, learn better email etiquette, you know, yes. just everything. And I did read a lot of things online and speak to a ton of different leaders in the rare disease community who gave me advice then and still give me advice to this day just because mm -hmm. I am continuously learning how to run an organization. But yeah, I guess people always ask me how I balanced it with being a student, being a student mm -hmm. and people, because Besides that, I also would, you know, go and do speaking engagements and uh -huh. did other organizations at school. And I guess it just, I never really had a good answer to that because it just felt so natural to me. Like, mm -hmm. I saw that this was a need in the community. And I guess I've just kind of was raised to be the person, like, if you see a problem, don't assume that someone else mm -hmm. is going to do something for mm -hmm. it. Like, do it yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I, once I started the organization, like, people were very receptive of the message and they were like, yeah, this is something that is really needed. And 
I think that just really gave me like the motivation to just keep going Mm -hmm. and to spend time whenever I had it, not doing homework or other things I had to do, just growing the organization and spreading the word. So yeah, I mean, I'm glad to be graduated now and have time to commit to it um, because I'm not like really actively like looking for jobs at the moment, taking a little time to focus on Remember the Girls uh, and working Mm -hmm. on our projects. So it's great like being able to finally do that. What projects are you working on right now? So right now we are working on a few different projects. Um, The one, one that we had just launched is a provider network. So a lot of carriers have you know, issues when it comes to going to doctors or even specialists Mm -hmm. on their disease who aren't exactly informed of how that disease Mm -hmm. affects carriers. Um, We actually did a survey in Remember the Girls that had over 400 responses um, from over 15 different disease groups. And altogether, over 90% of the respondents said that they felt that they didn't have access to adequate information or medical professionals regarding their symptoms. Um, So we started this network where carriers could recommend a provider that they've seen before who is understanding of carrier symptoms or, you know, just takes an interest in carriers and wanting to help them. Um, So we just kicked off this provider network and we have we have over 10 recommendations now and um, a few who have accepted are on our website. So, yeah, we just started that, which is really exciting to finally have like a place carriers can turn and know what doctors they can go to and they won't kind of be like you know, shut down, like, oh, carriers don't get symptoms, because Mm -hmm. it actually still is a pretty widely held belief, just because it's only been a few, really, like, a handful of years since that's become more common knowledge. Um, But, yeah, it's still not widely understood. Um, One of the other projects that we're working on is creating a reproductive toolkit um, for carriers to use, and we are looking into um, writing a grant for this one just because this is like a larger project, but we basically want to have um, different testimonial videos and videos from genetic counselors who are on our medical advisory board speaking mm-hmm. about the different options. So for example, IVF with PGT or in vitro fertilization mm-hmm. with pre-implantation genetic testing, uh, doing a donor A, mm-hmm. uh, adoption, and also um, like having children naturally as well mm-hmm. and seeing what your options are just for all of the above, because everyone's circumstance is different, and we want people to understand that there are these options, and you just have to see what's best for you and see like what other carriers have gone through and hear their experiences. And so that's another thing that we're working on right now. Um, I also just started creating like a carrier worldwide map. So this is something you can also see on our website, but we're trying to pinpoint like all around the world where carriers are. And it already has like 165 responses um, for carriers like all over the world because remember the girls is international. So those are the things that come on the top of my head, but we honestly have like a bunch going on like all the time. <laughs> that's awesome. Thanks. And I that actually was, you already answered one of the, the questions I had because I did have, you know, you were saying it's more accepted in the last decade. Um, that carriers can present with symptoms. And I was surprised to hear that because I I was still of the mind of, I knew that carriers could have symptoms, but I thought that widely the average physician would be dismissive of it or not recognize it for what it is because I thought that it is still relatively unknown, um, especially for, you know, a general practitioner. Yeah, definitely a general practitioner. Like, I mean, even Mm -hmm. a general practitioner doesn't know what adrenal (laughs) leukodystrophy is. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, so that's definitely the difficulty. And I think for a while I was kind of in the ALD bubble. And of course, all the doctors at our conferences are like, yes, carers get symptoms in the last like five years, I would mm-hmm. say like all the doctors are accepting of that and talk about that in their presentations. But I hear stories all the time of a, like a woman messaging me or emailing me saying that, for example, that like her daughter was picked up on the newborn screening test. Mm-hmm. And that they met with a doctor and the doctor said that carriers can't get symptoms. So it's something that is still Mm. being spread. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you can't blame the individual doctors because, you know, it's like there are so many rare diseases and especially, you know, carriers being affected by rare diseases. Mm. That's a whole different subset of information. But I Mm. think the most important thing is just like spreading the message of Remember the Girl. So it even triggers in people's minds like, oh, carriers can get symptoms and them using that information like in their practice or just yeah is there a term like I've heard some people don't like the term carrier because it's sort of is there a preferred term so a lot of people don't like the term carrier that's Mm -hmm. true at the moment I wouldn't say there's a generally accepted like preferred term Um, I've noticed that it's a little bit different depending on the disease group that you're in like for example Duchenne muscular dystrophy often uses manifesting carrier Mm -hmm. Um, in the case of ALD uh, they call women with symptoms um, women with AMN because mm-hmm. AMN is like the adult, adult yeah, yeah, spinal cord only version of the disease. Mm-hmm. However, um, a doctor, a doctor Eichler, who's on the Remember the Girls Medical Advisory Board, he's been studying carriers and finding that they experience symptoms that are different than men with AMN. So mm-hmm. now we're like, we're not women with AMN, we're yeah. women with, I don't, we don't really yeah. know what to call it. Um, but yeah. I personally don't know where I fall in the term carrier, and I definitely am careful um, when using it. Like, like when I give presentations, for example, I'll I'll use it because that's the widely accepted uh-huh. term. But I'll mention like this isn't implying that you know <laughs> I support this term, and it's hard because personally myself, like I don't consider myself you know a patient or because mm-hmm. I am currently I think I'm asymptomatic, but. It's like when you cross that line, yeah. like when do I consider there myself? There is a big gray space between yeah. patient and non-patient. There is. Like something I brought up to someone earlier was when I sign up for conferences, like you select patient, caregiver, mm-hmm. or like industry advocate. And I'm like, well, I I usually write other. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's hard because it's like. I mean, I likely will get symptoms considering most carriers do. And I don't believe that I have them now, but... That's also hard to know because, yeah. like, there are some things that I've experienced that a lot of other carriers have. Like, for example, I have really bad restless leg syndrome, which mm-hmm. is really common since a lot of carriers experience neuropathy. Mm-hmm. However, like, there's no way for me to know, you know, if that's related because a lot of people have restless leg syndrome that aren't carriers. Mm-hmm. So when people ask me, like, do you have any symptoms? I say, I don't really know. None at the moment that, like, affect my quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know carriers that, like, in their 40s and like are in wheelchairs and have extreme difficulty walking um so yeah so there is obviously like I wouldn't say I'm scared for the future even though I know that you know those things can happen to me mm-hmm. because I have a lot of faith in like continuing research and what remember the girls is doing and mm-hmm. I don't know I guess this is just the hand that I've been dealt and I've known like my like I've known Mm -hmm. for a while that this could happen to me Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just I guess trying to do the best I can on the advocacy side to like make it an easier place and an easier world for carriers and like a place that they don't have to be as scared of what can happen to them. 
Um, and you are so informed that as you're, you know, curating all of these resources for so many people, you also are, I mean, if you decide in your future that you might want to have kids, you're like, well, I know all of my <laughs> options. I've kept up on all of the research. <laughs> like, Yeah, you know. it's nice. It's, it's also just nice knowing that if I do want to have kids, that that is out there. Like mm-hmm. growing up, because um, I've always known I was a carrier, like my mom told me in like small doses growing up, like I can't remember a time that I didn't know, mm-hmm. which I personally am glad for. Um, but she said that when I was in elementary school, I would say to like my friends and be like, you know, I'm not going to have babies like you. I'm going to do it differently. Like I would say wow. that it's funny thinking like I so even knew informed. then, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's great just knowing that like I do have that option and my um, mom and dad actually like immediately started saving some money mm-hmm. if I did want to do oh, IVF because awesome. that can be incredibly yeah. expensive and not always covered by insurance Mm-hmm. But I know that obviously most carriers don't have that kind of luxury. Mm-hmm. Most carriers like don't have access to IVF or adoption is also really expensive. And mm-hmm. that's why I think everyone has to be considerate of the choices that an individual family mm-hmm. makes because no one ever mm-hmm. understands their circumstances. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't question why someone chose to do a certain thing because we don't know their life experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something I definitely push in my group, being mm-hmm. the leader of my group, like open-mindedness to other people's yeah, choices yeah. because there's no point of judging when you mm-hmm. don't understand. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's great that you have um, genetic counselors on your board. I think that um, people are really under-referred or don't mm-hmm. necessarily know that that's a resource out there. Yeah, yeah. We have three genetic counselors on our board and they provide so much help just reviewing like information that I give out to the women in my group like they've just been super super helpful and I'm always like thinking of ways to get them more involved um they're really interested in helping especially with the reproductive toolkit Mm -hmm. and like being on film and because that's you know that's what they Mm -hmm. do every day they talk about how different people with genetic disorders can deal with their reproductive futures like that falls perfectly in line to what they do every day and what they're so passionate about um, so yeah, it's great having genetic counselors, and we also have two doctors as well. So oh, awesome! Yeah, that's that's really cool. Thanks. Um, before we let you go, yeah. um, what would be your last words uh, out to anybody listening? And where can people find Remember the Girls on social media? Yeah, so I'll do the social media first. So you can find Remember the Girls at rememberthegirls.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you have a book. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, just look up Remember the Girls on any social media. You'll probably find us. Uh, on Facebook, we have our public Facebook page, which anyone can like, and then our private closed carrier group, which you mm-hmm. have to request to join. Um, and, yes, I did write a book. Casual. Uh, about, <laughs> um, it's called Rare Like Us, uh, about my dad's story with adrenal leukodystrophy mm-hmm. and how that affected our family, and then how, as um, a child grieving with that loss and eventually finding my passion in rare disease advocacy and how I was really able to cope with that loss at such a young age and turn mm-hmm. it into something positive and um yeah it's there's a lot of messages in there mm-hmm. I don't know I just <laughs> it it got published um in August mm-hmm. and I've been writing it for like three years just whenever I had the time and people always ask me like oh that must have been really difficult but I mean I was just kind of writing the story that I lived and I, um, my mom helped me a lot with providing me with like her old notes. Cause she took very 
like she took a lot of notes at the time of like my dad's diagnosis and about Mm -hmm. like what symptoms he was experiencing because I don't have that many memories from that time so I was like really helped by those notes and trying to piece everything together so I would say that was like the one difficult part but other than that it was just Mm -hmm. kind of writing something I always talk about Um, so yeah my book is called Rare Like Us it's available on Amazon uh, paperback and Kindle version if you want to check it out be super grateful Um, and I guess I would say my last words for the podcast are hashtag remember the girls (laughs) (laughs) all right thank Thank you. you yeah that was fun